0: hi everybody and welcome to another faster masters rowing radio i'm rebecca Caro, and i'm marlene royal and it's still us and we're still here and it's still tuesday and hello to everybody who's going to be watching live i sincerely hope that a few people will join us just before we kick off this podcast is part of the rowing chat network of podcasts which is a lot of different shows all about rowing you can find out all the shows at the website rowing.chat and if you subscribe you get a weekly email that tells you what new episodes have published that week or of course you can look rowing chat up on any podcast app we're also on spotify we're also on uh Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, The Works. Now, we have a few sponsors that we are obliged to mention, and we love our sponsors because without them, the show wouldn't happen. The first sponsor is the Masters Rowing magazine, sold by Faster Masters Rowing, which Marlene and I author. Are you like a sponge, just sucking up information about and tips about rowing? This monthly magazine is for you. You can become a student of the sport. Learning more will give you confidence in your own rowing practice. The magazine has four articles a month. Technique, performance, rowing lifestyle and a bonus. The bonus is very random. The technique This month, which is September 2020, is a video about creating rhythm and run. And that's important, as you know, because it's hard to get rhythm and it's very easy to lose it. The Rowing Lifestyle articles about your sleep checklist and the performance article is about breathing while rowing. The price is 15 US dollars a month and you can find all the details at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash courses forward slash magazine or the link on the rowing chat website. The second sponsor is Castel del Fels Stage Esport. Are you ready to plan a training camp in Spain? Let us introduce you to the sports travel agency who will smooth your path to a fantastic camp. Castel del Fels Stage Esport is a specialist tour operator who books sports camps for many different sports, including rowing. They specialize in the Spanish region of Catalonia, which is near to Barcelona. All you have to do is tell them the dates you'd like to come and they'll do the rest. They book the hotels, the transport, the boats, the training venue at the Canal Olimpico de Catalunya, the food and the excursions. And Castel de Fels is 17 kilometers from the wonderful city of Barcelona. So you can have some downtime there, too. The team is taking bookings now, right? right up through to Easter 2021 and in order to get Rowing Chat its credit, please get in touch via me, Rebecca at Caro.com and I will pass your details on to them and then they'll give you a price. And our third sponsor is The Science of Rowing. It's another new monthly publication by the Strength Coach Roundtable podcast hosts, Will Ruth, Blake Gourlay and Joe DeLeo. Each month, Members get a three takeaway focused research reviews on rowing, training and performance, a bonus video and graphic content to help move your knowledge into application. They also do a podcast episode with the trio digging further into the practical takeaways. So if you know that science is important to your sports coaching, but you're unclear about how to apply it into your own personal situation, this is the magazine for you. Visit scienceofrowing.com forward slash rowing chat for details a free sample issue and a special discount offer. Now welcome to all of our online listeners live we've got a hello from Wilmington New Mm -hmm. York oh no North Carolina. North Carolina yes I'm getting quite good at recognizing the different states yes we have to train you better (laughs) i know and then hello from florida so hello back i'm sorry it doesn't say who you are uh i'm not quite sure why but i'm sure you can tell us yes tell us tell us who are you we're the mystique for those who are watching live you get the benefit of being able to ask a question um so just type it in below the stream you're watching you may be in facebook or you may be in youtube and we will try and get back to it and answer those during the show now the newsletter for faster masters rowing is more than just this podcast if you want it go to fastermastersrowing.com/newsletter and i think you should know that i spent a lot of time in the past week making the page much more beautiful so i hope you appreciate it <laughs> Right. It's Trisha. Trisha. Yes. And Glenda. Excellent. Very, very nice to have you guys with us. Now, I have a quick update to kick off. Last week, I mentioned that here in New Zealand, we're trying to form a national voice for masters rowers right across the country. And there's a Facebook group called New Zealand Rowing Masters, which we're encouraging people to join. This Thursday evening, New Zealand time, there's a second open meeting, which I'll be chairing, in which we're going to discuss communication. On that Facebook group, there's a poll where you can vote about the types of things that you think would be useful for uh, communication, i.e. what you would like to be able to say out or receive back. So that poll is going to guide the discussion. And we're also going to do our best to establish a couple of different places where you can get information that you might want. One of the things that's become very evident is people really want information about regattas and regattas are being organized. A lot of them are hyper local. But on that page, there is a tab called events. And I spent my Sunday afternoon uh, uploading every single event that people have sent me information about. But you can upload them yourself. The whole point about the group is that it's open and there's virtually no management in it. So anyone who's a member of the group can upload their event there. So it's not a perfect events calendar, but it's a good beginning. Please tell people in your club, I would love to have one person from every master's training group and people who train independently um, on that call on Thursday. So the details of the call is also in the events tab. Now, first big topic, finding a coxswain. It's head racing season. And we're noticing this because quite a few people have been buying our 12 week training program for long distance races. And I hope that means that people are keeping their fingers crossed that by the autumn, by the fall, they'll actually be on the water. So, Marlene, Can you race eights in Boston at the moment? Can people even train out of singles in the US and Canada?
1: Oh, they can train out of singles, yes. But eights, I think, well, I think it varies from state to state. Like I know in Florida, at some clubs, people are rowing quads. I don't know if they're rowing eights, but I know that they are rowing quads. Um, You know, I think it's just, it's extremely variable. Most places are still are still in singles. Um, I know here in Canada, we are given, we're given the okay to row team boats if we're training in the same bubble. Okay. So, so we can, you know, I got my double out for the first time last week all season, but, um, but you know, if you're training with the same group of people, it's, it's okay. Um, as far as eights, I am not a hundred percent sure yet.
0: Well, my club, we just started our head of the Charles Eight because the head of the Charles is virtual. So mm. we have a very enthusiastic American who um was from the Boston area called Ali Milbrat. and Ali is super, super keen. We did an early morning outing today, and you have never seen such a big smile on her face. She is loving it, and she is getting us organized. Our challenges are very straightforward. We have, one women's eight and one men's eight effectively and in the club we're likely to have a mixed eight and two women's eights so self-evidently we need to coordinate outing times because we want to use the same equipment
1: yes yes i have people training for the for the remote event but so far everybody is in a single but they're in different countries Well, a single or the erg so i have athletes in pakistan switzerland canada the US. So all preparing for their trials. And uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great fall training goal. You know, if you just want to have something to focus on, it's, you know, it's fun. It's fun. And of course there is the, the, that new virtual challenge um, sponsored by Concept2 through US Rowing, which is a number of different events. So Mm -hmm. I think people could go to the usrowing.org and get the information to that. I think it's open to anyone. So Yeah.
0: So a lot of clubs tell me that they have challenges finding coxswains for their master's crew. And so I've got a couple of suggestions. So we have done all of these things variously at different times. We have gotten somebody's child to cox us. Anyone who's probably eight years old or more can probably happily sit in a coxswain seat and learn to steer. We have also had an adult cox us. And for this, we, the wonderful Michael, who is Mr. Handyman Extraordinaire, built us a great tool, which is a plank that sits across (laughs) the gunnels with a rowing seat glued into it. So the adult can sit up high above the boat. You don't need to worry about squeezing into the seat if it doesn't fit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the only thing you have to watch out for is that you don't um, let the steering wires uh, get caught underneath the plank. But anyway, it means you can get out. Now, we've also had the lovely, I'm not going to name him, one of our members has um, a new deeply petite girlfriend, and he's told her she needs to learn to cox. So bless her. She's going to be coming out with us, hopefully, for the first time at the weekend. So finding a coxswain often isn't your challenge. Your challenge is getting a coxswain competent to steer you and to give commands. And this is where I feel that masters need to be flexible and comfortable with making compromises. It's deeply scary steering a long boat, doesn't matter if it's a quad or a four or an eight, but the uncertainty is the number one thing that I think people really need to overcome when they're first in the coxswain seat. And for that reason, when we have a new coxswain for their first outing, the only thing we get them to do is to steer. So we usually take them in a four, and we have one of the members of the four who's rowing do the calls. So we teach them how to start, as in come forwards to half slide or three quarter slide, half pressure. Are you ready row or ready all row, as I know they say in America. And they can do that simply by repeating each phrase said to them by the stroke. You don't need them to remember it in the first outing. So get the stroke used to being very calm and eye contact, and you just say to them, come forward to half slide. Then you wait while they repeat that. Square and buried, they repeat it. Half pressure, are you ready? Row, and then they repeat it. In that way, all they have to worry about is finding their direction and understanding how quickly the boat turns. When you're doing that, I usually explain that the boat pivots at the midpoint. So in a four, it'll pivot between the two and three seats and an eight, obviously between the four and five seats. And I explained to them about gradual steering, not whacking the rudder right over one direction and then the other. And I also explained about using their little fingers to hook them over the side of the boat. So your thumb and forefinger hold the rudder wires or the sometimes they're little little handles and your little fingers go over the side of the boat. And the idea is that those are the reference points that don't move and you can push your hands away or towards you in order to make the steering movement. And they get a very clear sense of when they come back into balance. And one way of helping that is Sometimes you can wrap a little bit of electrical tape around the midpoint in the steering wire. So there's a visual reference of a, a little tag of maybe red tape that's right in front of them so they can see when they're straight. And all you have to teach them to do is to make small turns and then when they're straight to bring the rudder back to straight and then maybe turn the other way and bring it back to straight. And that's all they need to learn for the first outing. As you go out more frequently, you can then encourage them to remember the starting and stopping commands. You can then encourage them to learn how to keep the boat going in a straight line. And the best explanation of this is a e-book called Coaching the Coxswain," which was written by a very nice coxswain called Chelsea Dommertt from oh, I forget where but an American university and she was very conscious of the fact that none of her coaches had ever coxed and so she wrote once she was an experienced coxswain she wrote this book explaining how to coach coxes because she said a lot of coaches give really poor instructions and coxswains try to follow them and then get hollowed at for doing the wrong thing so that book is sold by Roe perfect uh coaching the coxswain by chelsea domit things that she explains that I found really helpful is the phrase on point on point is when the coxswain looks up to their horizon and they pick a point that they're going to steer towards in a straight line and so it's a very good discipline when you're starting off rowing to say to the coxswain are you on point and they have to lift their chin up because of course they're going to look over the heads of the other athletes and then they need to pick you know, something, some marker that they can see on the horizon that is known to be in a straight line. And that straight line, you know, needs to be maybe 20 strokes away. So hopefully, you know, your river isn't that bendy that they immediately have to steer. But you start to teach them to row in a straight line, make a small curve or course correction and then row in another straight line. So that, in fact, their course is a whole series of straight lines, not a long curve, sweeping one way and sweeping the other. And by getting them to lift their chin regularly during the rowing, you can say, are you on point? They can just check that they've managed to set the steering accurately. And frankly, those are all the things you need them to be able to do. Start, stop, steer on point, And then when they're confident doing that, repeat whatever the stroke or seven says to them. That is enough to
1: steer a head race. So there you go. How does that work? That's good. And if you need a really competitive Cox, talk to your yeah. friends and rent one. <laughs> so. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, rent. We we pay real money to high school students. So we'll often approach the local high school. And the lovely Danielle will come out with us for a mere $50. She'll do an entire regatta, which is wonderful, a one-day regatta.
1: Well, I think if if you know a very good, talented, competitive coxswain and you're really training hard for an event, it's well worth the money to take care of your coxswain and and pay their way. (laughs) The other thing I learned over the years is that it's a talented
0: coxswain, even if they are heavy, is better than an inexperienced coxswain. And I don't wish to dismiss inexperienced coxswains, but... It happened at a head race when I was a student. I was coaching the, um, I was sorry, I was not a student. They were a student eight and I was coaching them. And we were doing this long distance race called the Fairburns. And Ollie was the slightly overweight coxswain. And I decided that it would be better to have him than a lighter, less experienced coxswain. And it really paid off. They basically, one with a 20 second margin over the second place crew on a long distance race, which is huge. And it was because he knew how to coach the crew, mm-hmm. not to do the calls. Now, Ian Perkins has a wonderful, wonderful comment. He says, um, topic one and topic three probably intersect. So we'll come on to topic three later. He said, I'm told by young potential coxswains, they don't want to cox grumpy old men who won't be coached.
1: Well, why are they grumpy? All old men are grumpy.
0: Ian, I have a suggestion to you. Feed them. Cake goes a long way. Sugar, sugar. They like sugar. Cake and alcohol, depending on the age of the coxswain. And... Why would you, who doesn't want to be coached? And can you just persuade them to shut up just for the Cox doubtings so that the coxswain doesn't realize?
1: Well, they shouldn't be talking in the boat anyway. In my opinion, I really despise people talking in the boat. Um, yeah, that's an interesting topic. I, there are times when we, we
0: agree that we can talk when we're turning around Okay, that's different. And often we'll ask for feedback and people know they can ask questions.
1: But that's not talking during a piece when something is going on. When you have to hear what your coxswain is telling you or what the coach is telling you, chat chat in the boat during a piece is bad. Yeah. Unless you have an agreement about what you're, if there's a reason for it and there's an agreement about it in the club, but just chat for the sake of chat.
0: And also when you're carrying the boat, you should only one person gives the calls, particularly when you're carrying a long boat. The chances of knocking the riggers and, you know, Mm -hmm. messing up the pitch is high.
1: Oh, this is a good idea. Read it out. Our club has found that we can use a yoga block in the cock seat to make it a little more comfy.
0: That's really good. We sit on PFDs, you know, those yellow personal flotation devices, which are just like a meter long. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. probably ten inches wide um they're um they're good you fold them in half or in thirds and that jacks you up a bit and someone else (laughs) Rebecca is right about cake and that's the Ardingly boys well hi hi to the Ardingly boys so Ardingly is a reservoir in the south of England so very nice to have you guys with us today Now, our next little mini topic is slow motion video. Everybody likes being videoed because you can, you know, see things about your rowing and improve. One of the things that I've noticed is that when you are not experienced at watching the rowing stroke, you don't know what you're seeing. Even if the coach is saying, hey, look, you're going in after, you know, you're you're late on the catch, late on the entry or something like that. It's also quite hard when you've got video, say it's uploaded to YouTube to watch, it's really hard to slow it down because you have to like pause it and then like drag the little marker and it's really, really difficult and it's clunky. So I have a suggestion, which we discovered at the weekend. On most mobile phones, you can record in slow motion. One of the video options is slow hyphen mo. And what it does is you just, you row as normal, but the recording is deliberately slowed down so that when you watch it, you can really see the detail even if you're not so experienced in analyzing or you're watching it maybe without a coach to point things out. So that's just a little a little mini tip.
1: Yes, also, and make sure that if you're using a smartphone to to video, make sure that it's in landscape view and not portrait view. Um, you want landscape and have the scholar row as close to you as they possibly can, um, particularly if you're on the shore or on the dock and they're doing a row by, if that's the only way to get them versus from a coaching launch. Um, you don't have a Zoom on an iPhone. So if you're a little ways away, your video you will look very small. And even if the person watching it expands it to make it bigger, then the picture starts to break up. So if you can be as close as possible, that, you know, that really, that really, really helps um, the the video. And if you play a video back on YouTube, if you click down in the right hand corner on this, I believe it's the settings button, it will say 1x 2x 3x and you can play the YouTube video at different speeds so you can you can also play a full speed video at very slow speeds when you're watching it on YouTube it's it, there the setting is down in the lower lower right hand corner and I, it might be in the settings or you'll find it it's one of those little buttons there but um you can actually play it back at like three times slower or four times slower, something like that. So that's also extremely helpful when you want to watch something up close if you don't have a, a program that you can go frame by frame.
0: Very good tip. When you are videoing, try to always include the tip of the awl blade in your video. If you can manage to get, you know, four or five strokes is usually enough for the athlete to see what you're trying to illustrate. You don't need to do much more. Make sure at least a part of your video is square off 90 degrees sideways to the athlete. If you have the opportunity and you're in a speedboat, one nice variation is to film the bow. So you can see when the bow lifts at the catch. And if you can get the bow ball and the blades in that frame, that's really good, because then people can see the relative timing of the oar placement under the water and the lift, the high point of the bow ball. Similarly, at the other end of the boat, you can film the stern. Oh, Marlene's <laughs> it's Filming the stern where you can also see where it dips And what you're looking for is for it to flow on as horizontal as possible and not have very large vertical displacements. And if you can do a square on from the stern, so you are directly behind the athlete looking at in their face, you can actually then get a really nice view, particularly if it's a crew boat, whether all the heads are in line
1: and you can see the blade parallels very well. Another super view is from a bridge. If you can get an overhead rowing under a bridge. I had somebody send me a beautiful drone video this week um, for a review, which was just incredibly beautiful footage. And uh, so some people are starting to to get skilled with using drones to follow you. And the overhead view is just it's just a view that you can't normally get. So that's that's very, very helpful from a from a coaching point of view.
0: That's good to know.
1: Let's loop back to our earlier coxswain discussion.
0: We have a remark here that says, I know, I coach and I cox. And invariably, because the coach is spread over several crews and shells, you can help your coxswain. But that means I get assigned to developing crews as a cox, and she says, I want medal, or he, I don't know who this is. They say that I want medals too. Mm, Good point. But when you're at a regatta, are the developing crews and the experienced crews in the same races? Surely you can cox more, more crews. What One coxswain for the entire club is possibly not, not always doable. And some feedback about cake. Oh, dear. <laughs> this person said they meant to ask the Ardingly, boy, Ardingly boys about cake. This is from a dodgy cox slash umpire. <laughs> Food, yes. will, food will get you everywhere, so I, I agree. I, I think food will get you everywhere is is a is a good as a good motto for life. I, I mean,
1: yeah. yes. Well, they say never if you need to make an important decision, have a snack first. Seriously. So, mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I'll I'll remember that next time someone asks me to marry them. Now the F- Masters Rowing <laughs> International Facebook <laughs> had a marvelous marvelous question which was posed by Malko Floran Elkins. And he said, port, starboard, or both, and which is dominant? So, Marlene, for you, port or starboard? Port. I'm just going to have to remember that that's stroke side, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I'm starboard.
1: I, I begged to row starboard my entire university career, and... You know, the fall would start and I'm on starboard, but as soon as racing starts, you're back on port. So yeah, I was I was yeah, I was usually a stroke. That was typically my seat. I rode four seat one one year in the varsity, but the other years I was a stroke. Anyway, the discussion was delightful, but it
0: seems to me there's a definite theme that the one that you learned first seems to be the one that most people prefer. Hmm. I had to Um, In my second year of rowing at university, someone dropped out of the crew. I forget what happened. And I just said, look, I will learn to row on the other side. And there are some beautifully hideous photographs of me with my hand (laughs) bandaged against the blisters, because of course, I'm gripping too much with the inside hand, trying desperately to row on the other side and learn. But I did eventually learn. But even now, my friend Kate can swap in one outing from one side to the other. She is she has an incredible facility. But for me, it takes me two or three outings to kind of remember which hand feathers and not to grip with your inside hand too tight. That's the thing that shows me up as being not quite comfortable. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't I haven't rowed starboard. Uh, I rode with Tricia in an eight two winters ago, and that was the first time since the year 2000 I had been in an eight. And before that was since 1986. So I haven't I've been in a sweep boat twice <laughs> since no. 1986. So. Okay.
0: You're now officially not a sweep expert.
1: You've lost No, but, your- no, but I, I I can appreciate, you know, there's nothing like rowing in a good eight that that's that's one of the that's one of the most awesome experiences for sure a bad aid is torture but a good aid is just heavenly. it certainly is Now the fun discussion
0: uh, below Malko's um, remarks brought out two wonderful words. someone said I'm ambidextrous which obviously is you know a word that means you can use both hands but someone else replied and said I'm bisweptual <laughs>
1: I think that's quite cool. I-, I like the fact that we're inventing new words spe- especially for rowing. <laughs> Definitely. It's like, you know, if, it's like even in a double, if you switch, if you typically row stroke and then you switch to the bow seat, it feels like a completely different boat. If the same two scholars switch seats, it's like a very different perspective. You know, it's, it's amazing how different it is.
0: Really true. Um, in our, uh, when we plan our outings, we have software that we use called Fitch Club. And then when you register as a member, you put down whether you're bow side or stroke side, or both, and whether you cox, and whether you scull. So that's cool, but the people doing the lineups, when it's often, uh, when it's me, I have been known to get it wrong. And you end up down at the boathouse going, okay, everybody on stroke side, who only rows stroke side, stand on the left. Everyone who only rows bow side, everyone who can do both, go in the middle. (laughs) Ah, we have a remark from someone who's watching. I have watched a guy swap presumably bow side and stroke side this weekend in the context of a single outing, it was a disaster.
1: Poor (laughs) guy. Yeah. But he tried. At least he did it. Like some people would just refuse. I think that if you do have to switch, a great
0: drill to do is wide grip where you slide your inside hand down the loom. So off the handle to the wide fat bit of the oar shaft. And the reason this works so well is that you are forced to bend your inside arm and then your outside arm leads you further around the pin than you can normally reach when you're doing normal grip. And that really helps to orientate people toward that side of the boat, which, of course, is what you want as you roll up the slide. You start at, when you're at the finish. Everybody's sitting square in the boat. All the heads are in a line. And as you roll forward and you get past half slide on the recovery, the heads are supposed to separate so that you you row toward, you rotate around the pin toward your side of the boat. And that drill can be really useful, firstly, for separating the squaring and feathering, and secondly, for ensuring that the rotation's going the right way and that inside arm is staying bent Now, we've got a a third topic for today, which is attitude problems. This is quite a delicate situation, but I think it's a useful thing to talk about because most clubs have adult beginners as well as returning rowers, as well as people who never stopped. So there's a, let's say, a range of different um, areas of expertise and experience and number of years of rowing. And this was a discussion where I'm not going to say who said what. But the question posed was, I, has anyone experienced masters rowers who've got an attitude problem? This person said, wrote to me and said, not being taken seriously when I train as much as other rowers and I do strive to improve my technique. And obviously, this is a real frustration for them. And I have to say, I feel for you. Because we all started as beginners at least once. You know, no one can row when they first start out, even if they end up as Olympic champion. And I wanted to know, Marlene,
1: have you ever seen this happen? Yes, of course. Yes. But I think you have to go back and first, what one person thinks is an attitude problem might not necessarily be an attitude problem right so so one i think you, you i think you have to look at every single sit- situation in, individually and for example um, i can remember at one club that i rode at a long time ago uh, i was speaking with some masters rowers and i and i knew and i knew the coach i didn't coach these people on a regular basis but from time to time and the coach told me, you know, these three master scholars really have attitude problems. They don't want to be coached. They're very difficult to, to coach. They're difficult to work with. And this was this particular coach's opinion. Then afterward, I talked to those scholars and they said, well, we don't really think she knows as much (laughs) as she thinks she knows. And therefore, we don't really have confidence in what this coach is telling us. So her perception was that they had an attitude problem. But their perception was that we don't really trust what this coach is trying to tell us. And so there you have a gap of perceptions. That's just one example. Now, we have our novice who who is obviously very sensitive and working hard and is perceiving well these people don't appreciate what I'm trying to do but maybe those people don't understand what you're trying to do maybe they don't understand what this means for you it's it's it, like i can take an example say at a sculling camp mm. i've had you know you have a group of people at a sculling camp and i can remember situations when somebody told me I've saved for two years to come to this week long sculling camp. And then you look at it and you think, whoa, this really means some, this means a lot to the, that person. And you would never know that if they didn't tell you that, or somebody once told me, you know, I I was very sick with cancer for the last five years. And my goal was to recover and row again. And so coming back to this camp is my re-entry to the sport. So, so sometimes you might see someone who looks unsure of themselves or, you know, you perceive it one way, but again, you you should ask them or talk to them if you want to, because you really don't ever know what's going on and what their, what their story is. Just like you may preserve, may perceive, Oh, somebody doesn't want coaching or they, they have a bad attitude about this. Maybe they don't, maybe, maybe, um, I'm going to say a man. I don't necessarily mean it's a man. It could be a woman. Maybe this person is a neurosurgeon. And as a neurosurgeon, they need to learn in a very particular methodical way. They want details. Once, once I had four neurosurgeons in one camp, okay? So so they want to learn in a very methodical way. They want to understand why this is happening and that's how they work. That's what they learn. So, if somebody's trying to coach them in a touchy feely way, like they're mm-hmm. not relating to this whatsoever. So, there you go. Like they have a bad attitude about coaching, or they're not being coached the way that they need to learn. Because I've talked to people who I say, well, but can't you feel what's going on at the blade? No, I can't. You know, okay, yeah. well, let's try something else. So, mm-hmm. Is it an attitude problem or is it a misconception? I think that's a really good point.
0: And trying to understand each person's point of view is really helpful. So as a fellow athlete, you can go chat with people, maybe in the coffee afterwards and say, how's it going? You know, you know, how's your, yeah, exactly. There were a couple of remarks I'm going to read out, which um, came in that discussion someone said that they'd run into a few snobby people but they've been few and i'm not sure that snobby eh. but i do think that there is it is really challenging as a experienced rower to row with a less experienced rower because you don't get a great outing so my club for example we have a saturday morning session which we call a jamming session where everyone has to mock in and that's the opportunity for the less experienced to get into crews with more experienced and it's the only time in the week. Some people choose not to turn up for those sessions. And personally, that means I have less of respect for them because they were helped on their way. But anyway, most people show up. It's the most social time of the week. It's actually fun. It's just not a heavy workout usually. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. But anyway, we we do that deliberately. There's another attitude problem, which is was reported Someone said, I saw the attitude not from masters rowers, but coaches of the juniors and the seniors who completely ignored me and several times filled my boat as they waked me. They'd have the kids fill the docks with their boats and then have a meeting that I couldn't dock and get off the water. I paid for coaching. I got none. I was told there was no room on the trailer for my boat when we went to regattas, but changes in the leadership of the club And an increase in numbers of masters rowers means those problems no longer exist. But I can certainly understand masters rowers who have a bit of an attitude if they have to fight and prove themselves every inch of the way. So that's another really good point.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, this is where you look at the culture of your club. And, um, you know, if you have a very old club and you've got people who've been there for many years, they've come up through, different generations of, of rowing. Um, you know, for example, when, when before before maybe 20 years ago, clubs didn't usually teach people how to row. I mean, people forget in Boston, there was no community rowing before 1985. Um, there, there was no club that would teach you how to learn to row in Boston in 1982. The only program was the Boston University summer rowing program, which was actually where I started coaching masters. It was the only program in Boston in 1982 where you could see if you were interested in rowing, because if you didn't already know how to row, you couldn't join a club. So, so as the culture changed, community rowing started with one eight rowing out of Weld Boathouse in 1985. Um, As the culture changed, now you've got different types of people mixing into established clubs which they can be coming from different walks of life, not just from university rowing into the club where, you know, when you row for a serious university, you learn etiquette. And we've talked about this before. You've learned protocols. You've learned things that are built into the culture of the sport. I think I think sometimes people don't get to learn those things when they learn as an adult and they come into a learn to row program. And there are Things in the culture of rowing that they really don't know. And it's not their fault that they don't know that. They weren't brought up rowing in that type of um, pretty structured training situation. So they're learning from a, a recreational point of view at first, and yeah. then maybe they move in. So, you know, there, there's a learning curve. And sometimes I think older established members don't remember that, right? Like you said, we, we were all novices at one time so um oh i like this paul (laughs) Haran's comment here us masters do have an attitude we don't listen well is that our fault that's not our fault Uh, i'm joking paul i have seen this in switzerland the netherlands and the uk i would say um it depends if you want to learn if you don't want to learn anything then don't listen just go row it's what you want it to be right I think the worst is if you have half the crew really wants coaching and wants to get better and half the crew doesn't listen, I think then you have a problem. Um yeah. if you know, if you're if you're rowing with your doubles partner and you guys just want to row, go row. I mean, mm. you know, do what you want. I mean, that's it, that's what I say. Like do what you want. But when when you've when you're starting to get conflicts within a crew, say of some people want coaching and really want to get better and some people don't. You you have then then usually crews split up, <laughs> you know they go their opposite ways. But but you have to determine your your goals. So one thing that I've
0: done when you have people who are unaware either of the benefits of coaching or unaware how much better the rowing could be, let's just set that out there, is that I try to incorporate them into more experienced crews where the bowman or whatever will give them a bit of coaching. And if they come away from that outing just fizzing about how fun it was and how you know they their sense of achievement, you know that they made changes and held on to them, I think that can demonstrate that there is a, another way. It doesn't have to be just you know the boat slawing around and you know not being fun. Well, they see
1: the splits go down. Totally. If yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. or even mean, just the boat set. Right. I mean, I mean yeah. it, to one one sense, if if you prove it to them, like. Look, is the boat going faster? Is that what you want? Right? So, I think I think there are some people that you have to prove it. That's why I love empower orlocks. I love empower orlocks. You know, when in doubt, do what the coach says. <laughs> but when you've got an empower orlock and you tell them and then you see it reflected in the numbers, like that's awesome feedback. So, I think there are just people who need more feedback mm.
0: too. I spoke with a friend called Roger this week, and he was saying how he was doing this slow motion videoing, which we talked about earlier. And he uses that to demonstrate to people that possibly they could improve their technique if they accepted coaching. He doesn't say it. He just says, oh, I videoed your crew when you were out, you know,
1: and gives them the link. And then they can see,
0: you know, maybe how
1: they're going. Then they say, oh, did I really look like that? Do I really mm-hmm. look like I thought I was sitting so tall in the boat. Oh dear.
0: <laughs> got some feedback from some of our live listeners and watchers. Philip says, I found some venerable masters listen and try to make changes, but struggle to break strongly formed habits, especially when under pressure. And he says it's a challenge.
1: Yes, absolutely. Especially if you taught yourself and you've rowed that way for a while. And you're getting coaching. I mean, you have to devote some serious coaching time and serious drill time and practice time to, to form new habits. And, you know, it's, it's, it's work for everybody, for an elite athlete, for a novice, for an experienced athlete, for an old athlete, for a young athlete, it's, it's work, it's work to um, correct habits and um, I think the thing is not to get overwhelmed by it, but perhaps if you have a coach, if not, purchase a, from a coach a video review and get some feedback and then decide on a priority element and then just work on one thing for a while. Like let everything else be a B when you want to make this an A. And, and just work yeah. on one thing at a time and improve that and then perhaps move on because. If you pick the priority item, it's probably going to take care of three or four things down the line. You you think your list has 15 things on it, but maybe it's really only three things that correct other things. So this is where having a coach, whether it's in person or remote, becomes very important.
0: Hmm. Remember how many strokes you've done in one way and then you're trying to change it. And if you... I have rode for, a you know, even for six months, you have done thousands and thousands of strokes squaring late, for example. How many thousands of strokes is it going to take for you to make a change and then hold on to that change? And the answer is lots. Ian Perkins has come back with another remark. He says the perception is often that it's someone else in the crew Mm -hmm. causing problems. It's not me. Good point, Ian. And one of the things, if you are a coach, that I think is um, an interesting thing to try <laughs> is to do whole crew coaching. Rather than picking out somebody, let's try and all of us work on drawing the handle up at the finish, for example. And you can do some pause drills and have people look down and check where their handle is, you know, feather onto the water and pause at the finish. You know, is my handle up on my rib cage? Or actually, is my blade off the water and is my handle down in my lap? And that allows people to work out for themselves privately if they're doing it, if it is their problem or someone else's problem. So I think whole crew coaching is can be a, a nice way to enable people to work that out without having to say, hey, Ian, for the 15th time. And another listener has said, sometimes not listening is compounded by not hearing well for older rowers, which also makes for inadvertent loud talking. That's a really good point. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. I coached a quad where one lady could really only hear out of her left ear. And I used to have to row the speedboat all the way around to be right next to her so that she could hear, which, you know, she was kind enough to tell me this was the challenge. Um, And that was really helpful. But then we also had, uh, we developed a backup. So if the person sitting behind her could hear, she could repeat it. So obviously being much closer, she could then repeat what I said. So that, that, that worked quite well. Let's dive back to the earlier topic of coxing. We have a comment from someone who says, I can get scared coxing a master's crew because they all know better than me, but I'm supposedly in charge. And this is what Sinead, who's a a UK cox and an umpire says, but she says they can't race without me. So where, where do I stand? So I think Sinead, you have raised a really, really good point there. In your crew, is there someone or a couple of people who are the natural leaders of that group? I would counsel that you go and talk to them and say to them, I would like to build my confidence specifically. And sometimes when people do this or say this, I feel my confidence gets undermined. Can you help me? And then have an open conversation. Now, we have another remark on our earlier discussion mm-hmm, that's about... Sport, the best. Right? Just
1: communicate. Ask for feedback. And even if people don't want to speak, ask them to, to write it down. I mean, just get some get some feedback. Yeah,
0: exactly. Write it down is a very good one because that can be anonymous. Ian Perkins has come back with another remark about swapping sides he said I've swapped midstream in a four when our stroke was having back soreness and wanted to swap sides he says bow pair were not happy but it went well yeah I can imagine that you two sit the boat we're just going to stand up and shuffle around presumably one of you lies down and the other crawls over the top how did
1: how how did you swap midstream That'll be the next story. (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll hold on to that one maybe for another day. And be careful when you're doing that. Actually, last fall, I saw two high school boys in a double. And they decided to switch bow seat and stroke seat at the midstream in the water. And when they did that, you know, one laid down and the other one started crawling back. But somehow their weight got really... um, off balance, and the boat actually twisted and broke in half, and they all went in the water. It broke in half? Yeah, it sort of twisted and went, went down. Huh. And then they were both sitting on the sea. With, so so be, be careful when you're doing things on the water. You know, if you're in a bigger boat with. She fakes confidence. Great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well done,
0: Sinead. Yeah, definitely. And Ian says, my daughter refuses to even try to cox
1: old men. Well, there we go. I also think parent-child relationships. I think in the end in you just play- have to do your best. That's that's the thing. Do your best. Have fun. Remember, you are just rowing. Yeah, this is, this is a
0: fun event. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be a, a fun sport. And definitely we need to... Make it as fun as we possibly can. I will say that I think parent-child relationships can be really challenging, and that it is often better not to have the parent at stroke and the child in the coxswain seat, um, because there's nothing worse than having a, a young child burst into tears partly part way through an outing and feel like they want to storm off. Because of course they can't storm off because they're in the boat with you and you're a long way from the boathouse. So. Um, A gentle touch is is um, appropriate. And one of the other listeners says coxing old men is a special talent. And yes, I totally agree. I am. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You should have T-shirts made up. I cox old men. Right. Right. Just be tough. You have to be tough. They don't want to be told, oh, you're doing a good job. They want to be told, you need to fix this now. <laughs> so, oh, is that so? Okay. Well, that's what one man told me that he said, you're way too nice. You know, you're way too nice when you're instructing us. We want to be told what we're doing wrong and what we need to do to fix it. And don't tell us that we're doing a good job. I was like, well, okay. That's, I would never have thought that.
0: <laughs> so, that is something though, that with many coxswains, I noticed they call a change, you know, whatever the change is, you know, pressure up or something and then on the very next stroke they say well done and personally I'm no 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 withhold your praise make us do it for at least five strokes before you know we're going to sustain that increase in pressure don't just go well done because people go "Oh, we did it and then they back off Mm -hmm. I think we've come to the end of our episode it's been An awesome episode. Thank you so much for everybody who's watching live. It's been brilliant having you along with us. Yeah, it's fun. So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio. Quick reminder, please to join our newsletter, which is fastermastersrowing.com forward slash newsletter. And we will see you at
1: this time next week. Bye from me. And from me.